Welcome back to Midnight Movie Theater. To celebrate the end of 2023, I decided to watch three of the most popular horror movies that I never got around to. There are definitely other horror movies that came out this year that I haven't seen that I'd really like to do an episode on, but I'm sure that'll happen in the near future. Right now, we're going to focus on some of the more popular titles. I chose these based on what I've heard the most buzz about, whether it's been online or word of mouth. I have been really looking forward to watching Talk to Me. I've heard nothing but good things and that it's really scary and original. Everything you like to hear about a new movie. Five Nights at Freddy's and Saw X are two movies that I really don't think I ever would have watched. I just don't think they would have ever made it on my watch list, you know? But that is one thing I've been enjoying since I started doing this show. It's really led me to watch movies that I would have been quick to skip over. I'm going to watch these back to back to back, so let's get this movie marathon started. Here are some... Nights at Freddy's. So as I mentioned earlier, I don't think I would have watched this movie unless I heard really good things about it, which I was mostly hearing pretty middle-of-the-road responses to the week of its release. Everyone I talked to said that it was a good enough movie, not very scary, and felt like a bit of a missed opportunity, which is fair. Then I heard from a family friend's son, who is around 10 years old, that he had seen the movie and he absolutely loved it. It kind of put into perspective who the audience for this movie is. I had to think about when I was that age how much of a hit this would have been. Especially if I had been playing the games and had all that anticipation. It would have been pretty fucking sweet. Just a heads up, I've never played any of these games or done any research on the lore before watching this movie, so I'm going in completely dry. It's definitely an intro to horror type of movie, which I feel like deserves a bit of slack. This movie is evil Chuck E. Cheese. I think it's the most simple way to understand the plot. We start out seeing a security guard at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. He gets fucked around with a bit by some evil animatronic characters. They capture him and place him in a face mutilator. It looks like a saw trap, but without a game behind it or a way out. It's just like a killing machine bear mask thing. Also, this movie is PG-13, so almost all the gore or violence is implied or off-screen. There's a cool opening credit scene that's all 8-bit animation. It shows one of the animal characters leading kids away from their group. It gives you a pretty good heads up on what this movie's about. I didn't really know it was going to be so heavily focused on kidnapping going in. As the movie went on, it felt like the message was just as much shining a light on groomers and the harm that can cause. Anyway, we start off with our main character, Josh Hutcherson. He's the dude from The Hunger Games, and that's how I'll always recognize him. But in this movie, his name is Mike. He is a 20-something year old who is taking care of his little sister. I think she's supposed to be somewhere between 10 to 12 years old. After their mom passed away, their dad left. 
It doesn't really say if he just took off or killed himself, but either way, he gone. Mike's been having a pretty shitty time holding down a job. He has a pretty strong blemish on his resume after he was working as mall security. Mike thinks that he sees a boy being abducted while working. This man walks up to a boy outside of a store and picks him up and just kind of jogs away. Mike goes into fight mode and chases the dude down. He tackles him into a wishing fountain and just starts beating the shit out of this dude. It really threw me off and is one of the moments where I found myself thinking, why the fuck is he just hammering this dude's face? You think after tackling the guy, he could just ask him some questions or have someone call the police? I don't know. Our boy Mike is jumping headfirst to this conclusion. The guy was probably just in a hurry and the next thing he knows, the guy from the Hunger Games is RKOing him to death in a water fountain. So Mike's meeting with his parole officer or something like that to help him find a job. This job helper guy is played by Matthew Lillard, which is always great to see. Matt is playing a guy named Steve Raglan. So Steve is like, we can't get you a job right now, Mike. But then he reads Mike's last name, and before he can leave, he's like, wait, I do have one job. This is another thing that gave it a very intro to horror feel. It was really obvious that Steve was up to no good. He tells Mike it's a nighttime gig, and Mike turns it down. He can't do nights. Steve gives him his card in case he has a change of heart. While all this is going on, we learn that Mike has been trying to do some lucid dreaming, or whatever it's called when you try to take control of your dreams and search for lost information. He has a reoccurring dream where he sees his younger brother being kidnapped, which is something that happened to him in real life. He replays this dream over and over and tries to bring out any details he might be forgetting about who kidnapped his brother. This is obviously going to be an important plot point as the movie goes on. Mike eventually decides he will take the night shift job. His evil aunt is trying to gain custody over his sister, so he's desperate for work and to make his living situation seem more stable. Also, I think there's a quick scene with an eviction notice on his door. If that's what that was, it isn't really talked about too much. I just remember seeing him come home and take the paper off his door and kind of be like, Shit. Steve goes over the gig with Mike, and just from the way he describes the job and the owner of Freddy Fazbear's, I was like, oh, Steve's the owner. He's definitely an evil guy and has some ulterior motives when it comes to hiring Mike as the security guard. So Mike's got the job. Great. He got the job. He get the money. He get the sister. It's all gonna work out. He goes in for his first shift, and the set for... He goes in for his first shift and the set for... (laughs) My eyes are bleeding. He goes in for his first shift and the set for Freddy Fazbear's looks great. There's stained glass of the animatronic characters on the sitting area. It's creepy and the electricity is all wacky. After Mike explores the place and sees the animatronic animals, he decides to take a nap. He's having his usual dream and doing his best to explore it. This time, when it gets to the end of the dream, he turns around and sees a group of five kids behind him. He's questioning them about if they saw who took Garrett, but they take off running. He chases after one of them but trips in the dream, which wakes him up in real life. While he was asleep, we see that there's already some pretty spooky shit going on. We see the evil aunt has been offering to pay Abby's babysitter. Abby is Mike's sister. 
to look for anything she can use against him in court to win the custody case. The babysitter can't come up with anything, so she decides to hire her and a group of dudes that she knows to vandalize Freddy's to make Mike lose his job. The lawyer's with the aunt listening to all this, and he keeps trying to leave, but she won't let him. It's pretty funny. When Mike gets off work, we see the gang break into Freddy's and just start fucking the place up bad. This doesn't last long though. The Freddy Fazbear Band isn't going to let this shit happen. There's a duck that carries around a cupcake. That cupcake eats a dude's head. The rest of the vandals are picked off one by one until they're all dead. Abby's babysitter's death kind of gives us a little more about what's going on. She sees a boy running around and she follows him to Freddy Fazbear. She's trying to look into the bear's mouth and a kid arm comes out and she dies. I'm not sure what got her, but I'm going to chalk it up to ghost arm. There was a scene before all that where Mike gets a visitor at work. It's a lady cop. Her name is Vanessa, and a lot like Steve, you kind of get the idea that she isn't telling Mike everything she knows about what's going on at this rundown children's pizza place. Before Mike meets her, he has another dream and chases after those kids again. This time, one of the kids slices his arm with something. When he wakes up, he really has a big slash on his arm. So I'm not sure if we have a Nightmare on Elm Street situation going on here, or did one of the animatronics just give him a little slice while he was asleep? I don't know if this is ever really answered because there's a scene later on where he's getting like multiple blade wounds all over his body in a dream, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't have any of them when he wakes up. Anyway, after all the vandals are dead, Vanessa stops by Mike's house to let him know that there was a break-in at Freddy's. She tells him he could be responsible for not locking the doors. Criminal negligence. Is that really how that works? Oh shit, I forgot to lock my door. I guess you can just steal my shit and take whatever you want and it's all my fault that you stole shit and also broke all my shit. Mike and Vanessa go for a walk and he tells her about his brother Garrett being kidnapped and kind of explains his whole life situation he has going on. She's like, that's cool. I'm a cop and I have nothing else that I should be telling you. Mike's ready for his next shift, but he can't get a hold of the babysitter. Damn. He decides to bring Abby with him to work. He builds her a little tent in his office and gets her to bed. He cleans up all the damage from the vandals and decides it's time to go on his nightly dream journey. He wakes up to hearing Abby screaming. She snuck off while Mike was asleep and went to play with her friends. At the beginning of the movie, it's established that Abby talks to some imaginary friends and often draws pictures of them all playing. Mike follows the screaming and when he runs into the main lobby, he sees the four animatronics all around Abby. No worries though, they're just tickling her. Mike about gets taken out by Freddy, but Abby tells them that he's cool. Abby and the animals were having a blast. Mike takes her home and gets her to bed. This is another stretch of the imagination. If you're Mike, you don't ever go back to that place. Just get a different job anywhere else. That's nuts. There has to be factories or warehouses nearby. Those places will hire any living, breathing soul that walks through the door. Mike's dream shit is more intense when he's at Freddy's, so he keeps going back and he keeps bringing Abby. She tells him that the characters at Freddy's are being controlled by the ghost kids in his dreams. The next time they are shown at Freddy's, Abby and Vanessa are both there with Mike. They're all playing with the animatronics and Abby has an accident. She gets shocked by the bunny character's guitar strings. Vanessa has been leaving Mike in the dark this whole time. She'll just straight up ignore him when he asks questions or just give him really bullshit vague answers. After the accident with Abby, she says, if you ever bring Abby back here, I'll shoot you. She knows what the fuck's been going on at Freddy's her entire adult life. This isn't the first time Abby's been there. The dialogue in this movie feels way off at times. 
Mike has a dream where he talks to the ghost kids and agrees to trade Abby, his sister, if he can have his dead brother Garrett back. He immediately regrets it, but the kids just start fucking him up. What the fuck, Mike? Trading your sister to some ghosts? Mike has his head up his ass. This deal causes the leader of this ghost gang to turn the four characters evil. Freddy is sent to go collect Abby. They're trying to sacrifice her in a creepy girl costume so she'll be stuck there with them. Mike gets a bunch of weapons from Vanessa to help him fight the ghost robots. She won't go with him because Matthew Lillard is her dad and he's the one behind all of this. She, along with all these ghost kids, have been groomed by him their whole lives. So even though he's hurting them, they can't stand up to him. Lillard comes out in a big yellow bunny costume. It's like a Power Rangers fighting suit or some shit. He starts whooping everybody's asses. Vanessa shoots him in the chest, but his suit blocks it. He stabs her and then Mike realizes that if Abby draws a picture showing the yellow rabbit has been hurting them, they'll turn on him. It works and the robots start fucking Lillard up. They drag him off after his suit starts stabbing into his torso. He's all fucked up. I kind of imagine that he's just going to die in the suit and become another ghost at Freddy's. We see that after all this, Vanessa is alive in the hospital. Mike still has custody of Abby and Abby is starting to be more social. Everything worked out. I'd probably give this movie 2 out of 5 stars. It's a perfectly fine intro to horror movie. I have no connection to the lore of the game, so I don't really know if this stays true to all of that. I've heard some people say it's a bit of a miss, and that the games are a lot scarier, which I can believe. This movie really isn't scary at all. It might be somewhere in that are you afraid of the dark level of scare and subject matter. It's kind of creepy and has dead kids in it. The only thing that really frustrated me about it was that this is one of those movies where if people just communicated like normal humans, this problem would have been a lot easier to solve. Instead, they do that thing where someone either doesn't ask a question when they clearly should, or someone doesn't answer a question when it's asked. Makes my eyes roll a bit. Well, let's move on. Here we go with Saw X. We made 10 Saw movies. I dropped off after two or three. I can't really remember for sure. I thought the first movie was really solid. The second movie dropped down pretty hard for me, and after that I just kind of lost interest. Eventually I'd like to watch all of them, I think. I'd like to say I'm interested in what happened in between two and ten, but I feel like I have a pretty good idea. A lot of people stuck in murder traps that have to mutilate themselves to get out. I know that John Kramer died in one of the early entries, so after that they had to do some weaving around to keep this shit going. This movie makes the smart move of figuring out a way to bring John Kramer back. It seems like it's somewhat of a prequel. I'm not exactly sure where this fits into the timeline. Somewhere between Son of Saw and Saw Lives, maybe. Either way, Tobin Bell absolutely kills it. The first 30 minutes or so of this movie had me invested. We're following around John Kramer through his cancer treatments. It's very bleak and depressing. The movie tries really hard to make you sympathize with John, and I'm sure that works for a lot of people, but then you see him daydreaming about hooking this janitor up to a machine that sucks out his eyeballs with a shop vac if he doesn't press these buttons that break his fingers in under a minute. The janitor was about to steal a hospital patient's wallet and watch until he sees John watching him. He puts the stuff back and Kramer says, good choice. It's tough watching anyone go through cancer, but I can't feel sorry for this guy. 
He wants to shop back out some guy's eyes for stealing money. And it's not like he's just thinking about it. The motherfucker is actually doing this shit on the regular. So much so that people in this movie are aware of the Jigsaw murders at this point. He's like a household name. John gets the news that he has months to live. Not long after this, he runs into a guy that he met in a cancer support group. The guy had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. He's doing good and looking healthy. John asks him how it's possible and he gives him the whole story about how he found out about this breakthrough treatment that involves surgery and drugs. He gives John the information to look into on his own and John gets hooked up with the company. They're able to bump him up right away. He just has to fly out to Mexico. When he gets there, they have a driver pick him up. They're far away from civilization and a van pulls out in front of them. They make John identify himself and they take him. These people are with the cancer treatment group. They tell John that they have to keep their location secret because the big drug companies are after them. So they can't take any risks. He's cool with it. They drop John off at a really beautiful house where he's met by Gabriella. This cancer treatment saved her life, so she's letting them use her property to operate for the time being. John meets Dr. Cecilia Peterson. Her dad is the one who came up with this treatment, but he's been forced to remain hidden, so she's taken over his business. She takes John around and shows him the whole operation. He meets the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, the nurses, and even a patient who just went through the surgery portion. Wow. Even though it's set up in a remote abandoned warehouse, everything seems too good to be true. There's a scene that shows some more of John's kindness. He befriends a young boy who is having bike problems. He brings the boy to a garage nearby and helps him straighten out the rim. If he wasn't spending all of his free time creating torture chambers, he would just come off as a nice, wise old man. Don't let this movie make you forget that if he sees somebody having dinner, go to the bathroom without excusing themselves, he'll chloroform them, and when they wake up, they'll be told, well, you should have said excuse me. Now you have to either cut your face off or be cooked alive. You got about two minutes. So, it's the big day. John's gearing up for his surgery. As he's going under, he catches a glimpse of a monitor that shows them operating on his brain. He wakes up with a bandage on his head and Dr. Peterson tells him that everything went as planned. He should be good. Just take the drug cocktail and keep the bandage dry. He's so stoked. After some recovery time away from the facility, he uses his architect brain to figure out the coordinates of where they were. He wants to thank them, so he buys a nice bottle of tequila and heads over. This place had guards kidnap him at gunpoint earlier, but this time he just drives right up to the front door. But when he goes in, the house is empty. No more pictures on the wall, no one living there. He checks the medical facility around back, and it's empty too. Looks like the place has been kind of crashed as well. He's starting to get a bad feeling about all of this, and he finally takes off his bandage. There is no surgery scar. They didn't even shave his damn head. John's fucking pissed, so right away he kidnaps the driver, Diego. Diego wakes up like Edward's scalpel hands. His arms are completely duct taped up, just two scalpel blades sticking out. Oh yeah, and he also has some big ass pipe bombs dug into his forearms. John tells him he has to cut out the pipe bombs before they blow up. He manages to do it and it's fucking nasty. Dude's just hacking away at himself. I always wonder what happens to these people that survive the traps. Who wouldn't just go straight to the cops? We see the rest of the staff getting kidnapped one by one. One lady is a hooker, one dude is a veterinarian, and Gabriella is a junkie. 
We see Dr. Peterson scamming more cancer patients right before she gets kidnapped. It's almost hard to imagine anyone being shitty enough to scam people this bad. But then again, I have this feeling that Logan and Jake Paul will probably do something similar to this at some point in their lives. I can just imagine those two broccoli-headed mongoloids pitching this to John Kramer, and when he's asking questions, they're just replying with shit like, Facts. Whenever John signs the paper, they just start jumping around yelling, Let's go! I don't think that the Paul brothers will run a cancer money scam until after their 12-year-old fan base grows up and whoever is left of that will become part of some weird sex cult on a farm somewhere. No cult lasts forever, so when that falls through, then they'll just use their sociopathic grind set to manipulate people into thinking that if you inject prime into your ass, it will cure your cancer. Those are just some thoughts bouncing around while watching this. Whew, so where was I? Oh yeah, these four fuckers wake up in this abandoned warehouse where they were doing the fake surgeries. They're all chained up except for the hooker. Her game starts pretty much right away. She has a saw wire up to her neck and is told either cut off your leg or get your head chopped off. Not only does she have to cut her leg off, she also has to jam a vacuum tube into her stub and suck out a certain amount of bone marrow. She seems like she's about to make it. She has the vacuum in there and she's sucking out her marrow. But the timer goes off and she gets her head chopped off. It's really gross. I was quickly reminded why I don't like these movies. The first one, it takes the whole movie before someone gives in to it and cuts their foot off. Anyway, next up, they get the surgeon ready. Oh yeah, I haven't mentioned yet that Amanda is helping John. She kidnapped everybody, yada yada. She's the lady that had the bear trap on her face in the first movie. So the surgeon has to cut out a certain amount of his brain before the timer goes off. He fails to do so and has like an Iron Maiden on his head, but with heating elements inside. It was a little less brutal to watch. At some point, the guy that John ran into that was finishing up his surgery when John arrived shows up. He has a gun, but is smacked in the head by Amanda and tied up. He tells him he's there because he realized he got scammed too and he wants his money back. They keep him tied up for the time being. We also see that the Billy doll rides out on his tricycle. I believe he brings the surgery tools out. Any fucking way, Gabriella does her shit next. She has to smash her hand and foot out of some metal cuffs to get away from a radiation machine that's melting her skin. She collapses and is badly burned, but she survives. They're about to set up Peterson's thing whenever the surgery guy gets to his gun and pulls it on John and Amanda. He is Dr. Peterson's lover. There's a lot of talking back and forth and explaining a bunch of shit between John and Peterson. Peterson and breaks Gabriella's neck just to fuck with John and Amanda. Then they find the little Mexican boy that John helped outside and bring him in. Peterson chains John and the boy to the torture machine that she was in. Amanda is also chained up to the wall or some shit. John and the boy's torture machine starts waterboarding them with blood. There's a lever they can pull to relieve the other person. John takes most of the torture while Peterson and the guy go to the office to collect the money. When they get up there, the door slams shut and they walked right into a saw trap. Oh shit, you stupid motherfuckers. Should have seen that shit coming. They start getting gassed. There's only one spot in the wall to stick your head out of. Peterson kills the dude to get to the air. John gives the boy all the money that Peterson had collected from the scam. John and Amanda take the boy back home and leave Peterson there with her head stuck in the thing. I guess she is trapped. 
there's a post-credit scene where it shows John and this other dude from the Saw movies, a uh, cop character that helped him collect information about people. Oh, they have that guy, and uh, they have the guy from John's cancer support group in a trap. Earlier, that guy showed John a big surgery scar on his belly. There's no more scar now. He was in on it, too. That's the end. Saw X. Okay, I really like the opening of this movie. It had a lot of feeling to it, and Tobin Bell is great. The stuff that doesn't do anything for me is everything after that. Once it kicks into a standard Saw movie, I'm just kind of waiting for it to be over. The twists aren't that great, and watching people torture themselves or be tortured isn't really my thing. I think I'm going to give this movie two stars as well. Two out of five. On to the next movie. Talk to Me was premiered in 2022 at a film festival, but its wide release was in 2023, so I'm going to count it. I've been hearing a lot about this movie, and I really wanted to add it to the list. This movie kind of reminded me of It Follows, not really like the plot or anything like that, mostly with the scares and how effective they were, and the style. It's one of those where you'll see something in the corner of a dark room, but you can't really make out what it is until it starts moving. It also has quite a few well-lit close-ups on really gross ghost and or demon faces. We start out following this dude Cole into a party. He's looking for his brother Duckett. He finds Duckett shut away in a room with no shirt on and cuts or scratches all over him. He tries taking him out of the party, but Duckett stabs Cole in the shoulder right before stabbing himself through the forehead. Before he attacked Cole, he was saying something about their dad telling him to do it or something like that. In the next scene, we meet our main character, Mia. It's the second anniversary of her mother's death. We see her talking to her dad and she's clearly not comfortable doing this. He's across the kitchen behind her and he's really out of focus. It shows how distant they've become without saying too much. Mia spends most of her time at her best friend Jade's house. We see Jade's brother Riley waiting to be picked up by Jade after a skate session with his friends. This movie does a great job showing teens responding to peer pressure in negative and positive ways. Mia pulls up and gives Riley a ride home. I guess Jade forgot to get him, but Mia's got her back. It paints a clear picture of how close Mia is with Jade's family. On the way home, they run into a dying kangaroo in the middle of the road. I immediately expected to see a deer before they show the kangaroo. It's just what I'm used to. This is an Australian movie if that didn't give it away. Anyway, the kangaroo is clearly suffering and Riley asks Mia to put it out of its misery. She almost does but can't. She swerves around it and says someone else will come by soon. At Jade's house, she talks Mia into going to a party. Jade is wanting to meet up with her boyfriend Daniel. Riley blackmails him into letting him tag along or he'll tell mom that Jade forgot to pick him up. The party is like a typical garage high school party at a dude named Joss's house. Haley, a friend of Joss, is pretty outspoken about not wanting Mia there. They don't really dive into it too much, but Mia seems very socially awkward. So maybe that's all it is? Eventually, Joss and Haley pull out this severed hand that's coated in porcelain. It has writing all over it and supposedly belonged to a medium or a devil worshiper. It seems like the origin has been passed on like a game of telephone. Before all this, we see a lot of hype on social media of kids playing with the hand at parties. Jade believes that it's all a hoax. 
Mia volunteers to go first. The hand acts as a more intense Ouija board. Mia grabs the hand and says, talk to me. She sees a rotting man in front of her and freaks out. She lets go and he's gone. They tell her after saying talk to me, she has to say, I let you in, and then she'll be possessed. They never really use the word possessed, but they don't really seem to think anything bad could come from this. You know, high school kids, YOLO and shit. The second attempt leaves Mia face to face with a really nasty looking motherfucker. She goes through with the whole thing and her head whips back, her eyes turn black and she's acting like a freaky deaky little bitch. (laughs) She starts talking in a weird ass voice and singles out Riley. A door opens and closes and she says, he's behind you to Riley. Then she starts saying, he's going to split you open pretty boy. She starts yelling run over and over at him when her time is up. They're only supposed to let this go on for 90 seconds, but Joss is having a hard time getting the hand away. This seems pretty unusual. I think Mia has a fucking demon inside her. Maybe all the other encounters were passive ghosts, but this shit is pretty violent. Probably whatever Duckett had going on. Later on, we see Riley is having a hard time sleeping, so he asks Jade to sleep in her room. She shuts that shit down, so he asks Mia. She says it's cool and tells him about her dream she keeps having where she can't see her own reflection. This will be important later. Riley falls asleep and we see a creepy hand touching his cheek. What's even worse than the slimy hand is the laugh you hear coming from Riley's phone. It's a KSI video. God damn it, I'm going to have to knock a star off of my rating for that shit. They should have zoomed down to his phone to show that he's watching Two Girls One Cup instead. I'd rather listen to 10 hours of diarrhea sounds than listen to KSI's laugh or see his goofy ass forehead for one second. Anyway, the next day, Jade asks Haley if they can go to another hand party. Jade's mom, Sue, is suspicious that they're up to something that night, but she has to leave for work. Haley and Joss come over, and they all gather around to play the hand game. You can't tell me none of these kids didn't put their nuts on this hand and say, talk to me. There's no doubt they me too to ghost at some point. Fucking high schoolers. Jade's boyfriend Daniel goes first and he has a pretty bad reaction to the hand. He talks some shit to Haley and then the ghost in him gets all horny and starts making out with the family bulldog. They get the hand off of him and he's super embarrassed. He runs out and Jade follows him. After this we see a bunch of shots of them taking turns being possessed and parting it up. The short-lived possessions feel like a form of drug use. They all seem exhilarated afterwards. Before the party dies down, Riley starts asking if he can have a turn. Jade says there's no way that's happening and there's some back and forth about why he can't do it. Jade and Daniel take off, so without them there, there's really nothing stopping Riley from doing it. Mia says it should be fine if they cut it short at 50 seconds, so they hook him up. He seems really freaked out when he sees the ghost in front of him, but goes through with it. Lil Bud gets possessed by Mia's dead mom. She's talking to Mia really sweetly and she stops them from releasing the grip. They're about to go over the 90 second mark and Riley starts smashing his face onto the wooden table. Two smacks and his head is split open, blood leaking everywhere. He starts to grab and squeeze at his own eyeball. They're trying to wrestle the hand away and he's launched across the room. Riley smashes into a window and then on a sharp corner of another table he continues smashing his head. Jade runs in and stops him from hitting his head again by putting her hand in between it and the table. They finally get the hand off and Mia is shook. She walks out of the room. Riley is in the hospital not doing so great. Mia tries to visit but Jade and Sue tell her to fuck off. The parents don't really understand what happened but they're obviously pretty freaked out. 
Mia starts seeing her mom's ghost all over the place. She saw her at Jade's house and now at the hospital. She follows her into the bathroom and catches her mom making some hot beef in one of the stalls. Not really. She's doing ghost noises and being spooky. Mia opens the stall and it's empty. Daniel offers to give her a ride home and reveals that he lied to his parents about where he was staying so he can't go back home. She says he can crash at her place and he seems pretty uneasy about this plan but ultimately goes along with it. There was some talk earlier about how Daniel and Mia used to date but it seemed like it was when they were in grade school or something. Either way there's obviously some tension there. Mia tries to get Daniel to do the hand stuff with her but he's saving himself for marriage. Mia brought the hand home with her, but he's like, no fucking way. They fall asleep, and there's a really cool dream sequence where she starts making out with Daniel, but then relives the night her mom died. She wakes up, and what kind of looks like a pile of clothes in the corner starts crawling towards the bed. It's a nasty old dead ghost lady. She crawls up on Daniel's feet and starts sucking them things. She's a freaky-ass dead ghost. Daniel wakes up and we see that it's actually Mia sucking them things. He's like, gross, and runs out of there. She's like, damn, I guess I better do the ghost hand by myself. She sees her dead-ass mom, and mom's like, you need to go help Riley. But by help, I'm pretty sure she means kill him. Anyway, they snuggle, and then we move on to the next scene. Riley splish-splash taking a sponge bath. Haley is trying to talk to him, and he starts biting her. He falls to the floor and starts bashing his head into the wall. Blood's all over the floor, and Riley starts laughing and licking it up. Uh, that's a motherfucking demon, yo. Mia meets up with the rest of the group and asks if they've been experiencing any of this bullshit. They're like, no, not really. They reveal that they got the hand from Duckett. They meet up with Cole to try to get some answers. He doesn't want anything to do with this shit and gets on a bus. Mia connects with them about their losses and he kind of tells her that over time the demon and Riley will just get weaker. I'd like to know his source for this information. They all get off the bus and decide that maybe they didn't blow out the candle before taking the hand off Riley, which is part of the ritual. Mia and Haley take the hand to the hospital to see if doing another talk to me session and being sure to blow out the candle this time will help. They get there and Riley can't fucking talk. He's sedated on his bed or he's in a coma or something. Either way, he's out. Mia does the talk to me and she is greeted by a ghost girl. She asks the girl if Riley's spirit is there. The girl says she can show her where he is and then does a reverse talk to me on Mia. The ghost girl says, I let you in, and then she can see what the ghost girl sees. It's kind of like a mild version of the torture scenes in Event Horizon. There's like a blood orgy going on or something, and Riley's face is being pulled down. Mia goes home, and her dad decides to try to open up to her a bit more. He finally reveals that the mom left a suicide note. Mia is obviously having a hard time accepting this since the ghost mom has been telling her the opposite. I have a feeling ghost mom is a liar liar pants on fire. She runs into her room and sees her creepy mom in the mirror telling her that dad's lying and that's not even her real dad. He's going to try to hurt her. Then the dad busts in the room, but wait, now he looks like a demon. He attacks Mia and she wrestles with him. The real dad is out in the living room hearing Mia scream. He comes busting down the door and right when he gets to Mia to check on her, she grabs a pair of scissors and jams them into his neck, not realizing that he isn't the demon dad. Ghost mom is like, ah, don't worry about him. You gotta go kill Riley. She's like, oh yeah. While Mia's at the hospital, she calls Jade and tells her to come over. 
Jade says Riley's starting to do better and leaves the hospital. Mia sneaks into Riley's room and is met by Sue. Sue forgives Mia and apologizes for blaming her. Mia's like, thanks, can I be alone with uh, Riley? Sue leaves and Mia sees Riley as a nasty old person taunting her. She's getting ready to stab Riley, but she can't. She remembers the kangaroo and thinks, oh yeah, I'll just shove his ass into traffic. That's way easier. So as she's wheeling Riley out to the interstate, Sue finds out that Mia is dangerous and is trying to hurt Riley. They start chasing after Mia right as she is about to push Riley into the interstate. Her mom appears behind her, encouraging her. Mia's mom has slowly been looking grosser and grosser. You get the idea that whatever demon is pretending to be her mom is starting to lose its power, revealing its true form. Riley still looks like a rotting old man to Mia. We see Jade running up behind Mia and the next thing we see is a view from the inside of a car. Mia's body slams into the windshield. They never make it clear whether or not she decided to jump or if Jade was able to push her. Either way, she gets up and walks away from the accident. A little bloody, but doing pretty good. Then she suddenly appears in the hospital seeing Jade, Sue, and Riley laughing in his hospital room. Oh boy, she's dead. She's a dead ghost. She sees her dad walking into an elevator, but it closes before she can get to him. He might be dead, but also might not. Then she sees a mirror and has no reflection. Yeah, remember that shit? The room gets dark and she sees a candle. She walks towards it and a hand is reaching out. She takes the hand and all of a sudden she's in a room full of people in front of a guy who looks like he's about to shit his pants. He says, I let you in and now Mia is the talk to me. She's part of the hand game. And that's the end. I like this movie. It's an A24 movie, but felt more like a really good Blumhouse movie. It was made by twin brother YouTubers, and I believe it was their first movie. You can tell it was probably a lot of fun to make for everyone involved. All the acting performances are really great, and you get some gnarly makeup and effects. I'm going to give this one three and a half stars out of five. It might have been a four if there was no KSI laughter in it, but... You blew it. Thank you so much for joining me on my second triple movie marathon. Check out my previous triple movie marathon on every movie called Halloween that I put out this last October. It's full of all sorts of shit. John Carpenter shit, Rob Zombie shit, and even some David Gordon Green shit. Before I go, I'm going to bust out my artificial intelligence robot that I just got in the mail. If you listened to the last episode, I mentioned that I bought myself one of these fuckers off of Timu, that Chinese website where everything is cheap as fuck. So let's fire this thing up. It looks like a piece of shit, but I'm going to use it to help me pick out what movie I'll be watching for the next episode. Here we go. I have my movie list written down on a piece of paper. I'm just going to insert it right into the cock area. There's a mail slot down there, so I'm guessing that's where it'll go. Okay, so while it's figuring out what I'm going to watch, I guess I'll uh, try talking to it. Hey. Hey there, robot. Hello. Uh, how's it going? Mm, pretty good. Cool. So, uh... I guess I should give you a name or something. How about uh, Jarvis? You know, like an Iron Man? That's fucking gay. Oh, okay. Well, what would you like to be called? Riz Jaculator 200. I'm not calling you that. How about Hugh? Hugh Jass, you fucking bitch. Fuck you. 
All right, just tell me what fucking movie I'm watching. Zombie-ass Toilet of the Dead. Zombie-ass Toilet of the Dead, huh? Yes. Okay, well, Zombie-ass Toilet of the Dead it is. Thanks, Hugh. This one was recommended by my good friend Logan Waltman. I've never heard of it, but I'm sure it will be tasteful if nothing else. Thanks for listening to Midnight Movie Theater. Please share this show with your friends. Follow me on Spotify, Instagram, and Apple Podcasts. If there's a movie you think I should check out, send it my way and I'll throw it on my watch list. Happy New Year, everyone.